I spoke with artist Betty Tompkins on this episode. For those of you that are not familiar with painter Betty Tompkins, she's an American artist whose work revolves around photorealistic close-up imagery of heterosexual and homosexual intimate acts. She creates large-scale monochromatic canvases and works on paper. I had a conversation about her history in the art world, her history as a painter, her history as a woman in the art world, the galleries she shows with, her upcoming museum show, and just a general discussion because she's a close friend of mine for over a decade. We hope you enjoy this episode of White Hot Magazine, the art world podcast with your host, Noah Becker. Hi, Noah. Hi, Betty. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you fine. That's great. And um, you're working away in your studio? Yeah, I have a, I'm in the country and I have a great studio here. And when I look out the windows, it's pretty. Nice. And it's pretty quiet, too. Right. Well, uh, I know about how there's been snow on the East Coast, but we don't have to talk about the weather necessarily. Thank um, you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have the option of talking to you on a friendship basis because we've known each other for a long time. Sure. Or I have the option of going through your history a little bit. Um, so how about, would you prefer to talk about your history or would you like to just talk in general? Um, let's talk in general, um, most people who know anything about my work know a lot about my history. Mm-hmm. And I can put it in here and there where it seems to me to be appropriate. Mm-hmm. Or you can ask where you think it's right. appropriate. You're the host. Right. That makes you yes. the boss. Well, a lot of, I, I've been to your studio. Uh, obviously many times over the years over the last decade i've been to your studio a bunch of times and i've watched your work progress within the way that i've seen it um for example i remember coming to your studio and seeing your words paintings um before they were widely exhibited yes correct you were that you were there as i was doing them and bringing them in from the country I never did any of them in New York. I did it all in my country studio, so I wouldn't get overwhelmed by them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you had them in you had them in box, kind of in boxes in your studio. Yeah, well, now I have them alphabetically, so that oh. if I know what I'm looking for, I know which box to go to. There are way too many boxes. I was going to do a thousand because I thought that it was a really stupid number, you know, but it would give me a goal to work towards. And as it was, I actually didn't get bored or stuck at any point. And um, I also can't count very well. So Mm -hmm. the original group had 1,100 and something in it. And then I did, I think it's 110 more, which I did for PPOW, which they put up in a freeze London booth. And then I did a group on paper. And then I said, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Except that I'm not done. <laughs> <laughs> so I started to do them on pages that I was ripping out of art history books. So it was like all these images of women almost entirely, I think Artemisia Genelisi was one of the main exceptions, they were almost all done by men. And that, of course, is the history of art, is paintings done by men. Mm -hmm. And so by doing it, like I'm trying to own them, and I'm trying to own the history. I mean, when I make Mm -hmm. 
put words on them and stories on them. I've made a piece that's mine. Mm -hmm. And it's no longer somebody else's reproduction. It's mine. There's uh, the smaller paintings on canvas that have abstract backgrounds with words. And then yeah. there's the, um, I think Betty is referring to the paintings that are on reproductions of old master paintings and that sort of thing where a figure would be isolated and have text put over it within the context of a reproduction of a painting that already exists. Right. That's right. And so is that also called, is it similarly titled to the series of small canvases or is that a different? It's called, they're called women words and in parentheses who the artist is, the original artist and whether it's number one or number 10 that I've done of their work. And uh, now I have been doing for the last uh, eight months, I have also been having the reproductions blown up on canvas and I'm painting over them that way. Uh, it, it's allowing me to do a, a larger image which I had wanted to do and it was driving me crazy that I couldn't figure out a way. And so I have just yesterday finished the eighth one in this group. And what is that process? Well, I look for my pages from the art history books, obviously ones that I have not painted on. And I have this great, great, printer in uh, Rhinebeck, New York, and I send them to him. And I, my formula is that it's three times the size of the book page, which means it's around 30 to 35 inches high and uh, around 28 to 30 inches wide. So it's substantially larger and it presents, of course, all new problems of how to get the paint from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been tackling with these uh, for longer stories. You know, uh, I haven't done one where it was the same story from beginning to end. Uh, and on the actual book page pages that I did on that series, the only one, I did one or two, and they were interestingly about me. Hmm. You know, one was a Mona Lisa, and I told the story of my first marriage and divorce, hmm. which was uh, actually cathartic to do and really good. So you're getting the text yourself whereas i, I yeah with small with, canvases people were mailing things yeah in. the the original group of a thousand or as it turned out like 1200 1300 uh, none of those were from me they were all given to me and that was part of the idea behind doing them is that this is the language that women grow up with and it defines you. So, but when I started these with the art history reproductions, I felt I could loosen that rule up quite a bit. So I started to do stories or things from my memory or from my family's memory. There's not very many of them and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between my stories and anybody else's. Our experiences are so common that, you know, that it just fits into the series perfectly. And I'm also doing, no, I think you may have seen some of these. I'm doing these small canvases. They're 24 by 24 inches, which isn't actually small, but that's the size that worked out best for what I'm doing. And it's called, the series is called Insults and Laments. Mm -hmm. And because I realized that a lot of what people were sending me were either insults or laments. 
So, uh, and um, there's about, I don't even know how many there are, probably somewhere around 15 of these so far. Uh, and they all have a painted cunt image on it, airbrushed. And the letters are in different forms of pinks and pink oranges. And one of the ones that I did, which was in fact said to me when I was a college undergrad, which is the only way you're going to make it in New York is on your back. Mm. And I actually had a teacher say that to me. You know, because he mm. said to me when I was a senior, he said, what are you going to do after you finish graduate school? And then I said, oh, I'm going to go to New York and be an artist. And he said, the only way you're going to make it in New York or in the art world mm. is on your back. And I, of course, um, I blocked it out of my mind entirely for years. And when I did finally move to New York and I finally worked up the nerve to ask for an appointment at what was uh, actually quite a blue chip gallery at the time. Um, and I didn't know the dealer. I had never met the dealer. I'm in the elevator. I'm going up to this guy's gallery. And this popped right into my head. You know, so I hadn't blocked it out at all. It was just there. And when I got off the elevator, instead of going to the gallery, um, I went to the ladies' room and I threw up. Hmm. I was totally unnerved. And then, I, you know, I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, this is what you want to do for the rest of your life, so get over this. And I went in, you know, I made myself walk in. Um, he was an elderly gentleman. Uh, he was not interested in girls. And so, mm -hmm. you know, and then it never happened again. Hmm. And you took this ugliness that was said to you and made art out of it. That's right. Well... I guess that you could say that's turning poison into medicine. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I think it's actually not a bad attitude to have during life. Is you, we're all going to have terrible experiences that we can't control. And you have to be able to make something positive out of it. Because mm -hmm. then you own it. It's yours. And did you find it was difficult when you got to New York to pursue your dream of it being was an artist? Almost impossible. And I, what? Who were the big artists when you first got to New York? Who were the really? Well, I came famous? to New York in 1969, mm -hmm. so it was um, heyday, basically, of pop art. Uh, and minimalism was already started, you know, and the art world itself, unlike the one we know, which is huge and sprawling and in every borough of the city, the art world was so small that you could see every commercial gallery on one Saturday a month. And it was basically Soho, right? No. It started, Soho was, when I moved into Soho, which was 1969, Soho was becoming an art center. But it was right. mostly um, 57th Street, east right. to west, and then up mm -hmm. Madison Avenue to the Allen Stone Gallery, which I believe was on 86th Street. And it would go like a half a block on either side of Madison. So if you like to walk, you could do the whole thing. Hmm. 
That's interesting. Yeah, well, that and proves so a, I didn't. Do that one. proves I'm not a historian of where the galleries migrated from in New York City. Well, that's now what, I know. That's what I saw. <laughs> <laughs> now I know something. Um, and but then, um, so what was your first dealer? Oh, I was in. In like 1972-73, by which point I was already living in Soho, um, I was in a group show, no representation, at Don Legwidici Gallery. And I was also in another group show with Warren Benedict. Neither of these people wanted to represent my work. Now, can I, let me ask you a question. Sure. Um, the kind of work that you're doing, which is derived from um, porn photos and sexual, ex sexually explicit photography from magazines, was that something you were always doing or did you have a, a style that you were doing that had nothing to do with that? And then you Well, before switched. I started the fuck paintings, um, I was doing my graduate thesis, which I started out with uh, spray guns. And then I, when I moved to New York, my first husband was in graduate school at uh, Teachers College, Columbia University. And um, we had a two-room apartment. So room one, the kitchen was stuck on one end of it. And he was a sculptor jeweler, jeweler. And so the living room was basically his studio. And the other room had a double bed in it and a dresser and about five, six feet between the bed and a wall that also had a window on it. And that was my studio. So I spent a lot of time hopping back and forth over the bed to get some distance between me and the painting uh, because with, um, with airbrushes, when you walk up close to them, there's nothing there. It's invisible. And mm -hmm. I started, when we moved into that apartment, I did one painting. Uh, I actually, I walked in here and I said, if I use... If I use a spray gun in this room, I'll die of lung cancer, mm. you know, because there was no ventilation and there was no space. And I would, of necessity, be in the spray stream. So I thought, this isn't so good. I'll have to use an airbrush. And I had never used an airbrush. So I bought one and I taught myself how to use it by doing a painting. Uh, with a rather large painting, actually, about seven, eight feet high. And then one day as I was finishing the painting, my husband had a collection of porn photos, which had come from, I can't remember anymore, Hong Kong, Shanghai, one of these places. And he had gotten them uh, years before he met me. And because he would buy porn and in the back of the magazines were these ads for actual photos. And he lived in Everett, Washington, and he went up to Vancouver and he rented a P.O. box because the laws about sending this kind of material through the mail in the United States uh, at that time, it, it was a felony. And it had serious penalties. So he rented a P.O. box and he got, I don't know, uh, checks or bank orders, whatever, money orders. And he sent away for these things. And he waited a couple of months. And he went back and they were in the mailbox. And he picked them all up. And then he hid them, the envelopes, under the, in the cushions of his car. And he drove across the border, hoping he looked like the all-American boy. 
And so I was looking at them one day because I was uh, actually, I was actually really disappointed in a lot of what I was seeing when I would go around to the galleries. I mean, the art was almost all by men. There was no market for women. Um, and nothing looked like it had any charge to it. Mm-hmm. It didn't even look to me like they had thought. Mm. They were just kind of like, this is my formula, so here. And of course, the first year I was in New York City, I went to every gallery. The second year that I was in New York, I would say, I have been to 15 shows at this gallery, and I've never seen anything I wanted to look at again. So I started to be more discriminating. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which galleries always had something that if I didn't love it, at least it had interest Mm -hmm. or skill. Right. Right. So I was looking at uh, Don's porn photos and I started with my fingers cropping them, you know, what if you took out this and this and this and you're just left with this? And when I did the first one, I said to myself, this is what I've been looking for for a year. You know, take out all the boring bits and you're left with the money shot. And not only was it a beautiful composition, abstractly beautiful, it had charge. It grabbed my attention. So, mm-hmm. and so I, I built the stretcher the next day and just started. Hmm. I had no thought, no connections, except this is what I have wanted to do. And if I was standing in a gallery and this was in front of me, I would look at this painting. Because what really bothered me was how much I was just breezing by. They did not, these works did not in any way uh, grab my attention, make me want to look at them, figure mm-hmm. out how they were done, anything. Mm-hmm. It was just like, okay, so I saw this show. Did you find that uh, a lot of the galleries were showing things that were perhaps explicit? No. So it was fairly G-rated? Well, I had talked to a number of dealers by this point. You know, I'd been in New York for a year. And, um, And after I had three or four of the paintings done, I would go up to the dealer and say what my name was and say, I'm not ready to show yet because I've only got two or three of these done. But when I have a group of them, will you come to my studio? And all of them, male and female, both, they first would say, Come back in 10 years when you found your voice. And an interesting thing about finding your voice is you know it when you've got it. Hmm. So I didn't know what to make of that line. And then invariably, they would say, male and female both, don't bother to come back then. We don't show women. This left me totally free to do, for the first time in my life, whatever I wanted. And what I did was the fuck paintings. When did you find that galleries started accepting you and not kind of rushing you off? Um, this is going to be disturbing, but not until 2002. Right. And that was with Mitchell August, to whom I will forever be indebted. 
uh, Jerry mm -hmm. Salt, I had sent a sheet of slides to Jerry Salt uh, some years before, three or four years before it was like maybe 1998. And somebody that I knew called me up and said, I was at this lecture the other day and Jerry Salt said he was thinking about curating a show about sex. Send him your slides. So I had gone through a huge process to get these slides um, from the 70s updated to the E6 process that was current then. And so I sent them to him in an envelope with a note that said, Dear Mr. Salt, I understand your thinking about curating a show about sex. If you decide to do it, I hope you will consider my work. Sincerely, Betty Tompkins. And I never heard from him. I never got the slides back. You know, I had an SASE in there, but I never got mm. them back. And um, eventually I forgot about it. And then uh, in 2002, I got a call from Mitchell Algis, and he said, do you know who I am? And I said, yes, you have a gallery in my neighborhood. And, but by then he had already moved to Chelsea. And, mm -hmm. and he said, I've seen a sheet of your slides, and I'd like to come down and look at them. And I said, what pieces? And because uh, I had also done my first original language series after I stopped doing the sex stuff. And uh, so he said, work from the 70s. So I said, okay. So I put out a couple of the fuck paintings and I took out one or two of the language pieces and he came down to see me and we had never met. And um, he looked at the word pieces and he said, that's really good work, but I'm here for this. And he pointed to a fuck painting. And mm. so we had, you know, we had to talk about it. And eventually he told me that it was Jerry Saltz who had walked into his gallery that day and put my sheet of slides on his desk and said, you should go look at this stuff. So he called me up and he came down and when he left, he said, I'm putting together a group show for the beginning of the fall season. And I'd like to put one or two of these paintings in it. If you don't hear from me by August, uh, give me a call. So I didn't hear from him. And uh, so I called and I left a message and he called me right back and he said, I'm not being able to have this show gelled together the way I like. So I'm not going to do it. I don't believe in the show. So I said, okay. And I'm saying to myself, what else is new? <laughs> <laughs> and um, he said, so I'd like for the opening show to be a show of the fuck paintings and drawings. And I said, the drawings aren't framed. And he said, well, get them framed. And I said, nothing's on the stretcher except for one or two. And he said, we'll get them on the stretcher. And I said, you should be having a press release out by now. And he said, I'm a very good writer. So I said, I'll call you back tomorrow. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, if I'm totally flummoxed and I don't know what to do, and I know I need to think it through. Mm. I say, I'll get in touch with you and I name a day. Uh, and so, so it was a group show that became a solo show. Right. So I love when that happens. Yes, me too. <laughs> and I've he, had that experience myself where somebody really? offered me to be in a group show and then they gave me a solo show. Yeah, that's it, it does happen. It's, it, it, it's variable it's, and it's magic. It is. It really is magic. So... Bill, my own true love and husband, comes home 
And I start to tell him about this, and he said, well, let's go out to dinner. So he takes me to this wonderful Japanese restaurant that's near to us, and he feeds me a lot of sake. And he said to me, what is your fear? Why didn't you just say yes right away? And I said, I haven't seen these paintings in a long time as a group. And what I really hate, and I really actually do, is if I go to a gallery and I look at the paintings and I say to myself, those paintings were done in the 50s or in the 60s or the 70s. If I can date them to a decade, there's something to me that is very limited about the work. You know, I shouldn't be able to put it to a decade. Mm. So... He's, we go home and he says, okay, let's take them out because they were underneath her pool table. And so I had fortunately rolled them really well face out with a cotton sheet in between each one. Mm -hmm. So we had enough room so that we could pull out like three or four. And I'm looking at them. And he said to me, what do you think? And I said, there's a little schmutz that needs to be cleaned off. But other than that, they look like I just painted them. Hmm. I, which I was surprised. So he hmm. said, call Mitchell. So I called Mitchell immediately. And I said, okay. And so we got the drawings to the framer. I had a guy at the time who would put my paintings on the stretchers. We got everything done, and we got it in time to open. Amazing. Yeah, it's an amazing story. Uh, I'm always grateful to Jerry for having found them on his desk and deciding to do something, because uh, critics actually don't normally do this all they do is invite thousands of artists to give them slides which i can imagine and um i'm not used to dealers saying yes mm -hmm. well i think somebody has to push the door open for people and uh, certainly that's what jerry salts did for you at that point yes he did yes yeah, so that's a thing. very very that's a very great way to put it. He pushed the door open for me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've heard you talk about that before, and uh, it's a great story. It's a wonderful story, and everybody should have this luck, no matter what your age. There was, There are many reasons that I think I'm glad that I didn't get to show this work or have it talked about uh, until 2002, 2003, and then forward, because I'm not quite sure what work I would be doing now. Mm -hmm. So what are the galleries that you're showing with now, well, PPOW? I, sh I show in New York with PPOW, and I adore them. They're wonderful people. And they, they're part of their big deal. When I went to them was we're here to free up your time so that you can work and let us take care of all the administrative stuff. And that's made a huge difference in my life that I call them up and they send out images, you know, um, they do the editing on articles, blah, blah, blah. You know, I come in at the end and say, oh, yes, you did a wonderful job. Thank you so much. Uh, but they actually do, do great work. And uh, Wendy, of course, is wonderful at hanging and curating shows. That's her, that's her big thing. And they've just moved into a brand new space 
in Tribeca, which I'm dying to see. And I noticed that. I think I saw a photo on Instagram or something. It's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. And I, mm -hmm. uh, I'm really looking forward to it. It's got high ceilings, but um, and it's got a lot of square footage, but the showing galleries are human-sized, you know, not like overwhelming. So, yes, yeah, so mm -hmm. I showed with them, and I show with Rodolf Jansen in Brussels, and I will mm -hmm. be having a show with him in September. And he has... Mm -hmm. he has uh, he has a, a large space and then a smaller space, and I picked the smaller space. And it all works on paper and um, all with language. Yeah, mm -hmm. all, with, all with language. And I show a Sarah Gaflack in L.A. Mm -hmm. and Palm Beach. And that gallery... Have you been to the Palm Beach location or, or you sent work or uh, that's a great gallery. When, I, when she's moved into a new space, you know, she's not, I don't know how long ago were you there, Noah? Mm, I've never been to Palm Beach. Oh, I've been to okay. Miami so, like tons of times. Okay. <laughs> she has. We, we actually published in White Hot Magazine. We did, we published an interview with her and Beth DeWoody. Oh, yeah. But it was an interesting interview because it was both of them talking to Angel Chen. Um, so it was like three people talking in a text interview. Quite a bit of work to put together, but it was nice to have. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She, and she is in a terrific space now. Uh, she moved both the Palm Beach Gallery and the L.A. Gallery. Hmm. And uh, I have... I went to the LA opening a couple of years ago, but it was a, a different space. And uh, it was a lot of fun, but I don't really like to travel and I have a bad back. So I have trouble with lines, I have trouble with everything. Uh, so I just send the work. <laughs> but right. I also have done, I've done, uh, I did a show in, uh, Innsbruck with Karen Perniger and I couldn't go to the opening so we did it by Skype and it was it was like I always thought why do I have to go <laughs> you know my work's there and I can electronically be anywhere in the world so uh, we did the opening by Skype, and it was, as it turned out, an awful lot of fun. Hmm. And I, I've done a panel by Skype. Mm -hmm. And what else? Oh, you know, and whatever anybody's coming up with now, as long as they can invite me in and I don't have to download and figure out apps, you know, I'll mm -hmm. do it. But this is right. the most fun because there's no audio. I mean, there's no so, visual, only audio. So PPOW, Gablack, and... Rodolf Jensen. Ro Rodolf Jensen. Yeah. I'm and I'm having a show this summer at uh, Mogo in Montpellier in France. And after the show is, when the show is coming to its end, is when Rodolphe's show will open. Mm -hmm. Do you have any museum shows coming up? Moco. Moco. Yeah. That's what, right. That's what, interesting. Yes. I would it's like my, to see it more It is museums. actually my first solo show in any museum. And it's an area that I'd like to see open up more for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, to all the museum people listening, here's your chance. Yeah, absolutely. To, 
uh, it would be great to. Well, you had a show at the Flag Art Foundation. Yes, and you did. That's kind. That's very. It's kind of a museum, almost like a private museum. Um, it's it's a private, it's a private museum. Yes, and it's yes, not it, really like a gallery. It's no, like it's a, it's a not for profit, which is its own its own connection. Mm-hmm. That's a wonderful place. I did a film screening there, and I've been there many times. And Glenn Furman is a incredible supporter of the arts and supporter of other things as well. Right. And uh, so do you, you have something coming up at this museum and wh- what are you, go- what will you be showing at the museum? It's going to be like a mini retrospective. They have uh, like six exhibition rooms and Marilyn Minter is going to have one group of them. And then I have the other group and we, this show was supposed to be last summer and obviously mm-hmm. got delayed and now it's back on again. Uh, but there are, there will be works from different series of mine, which is what they want. So it'll be a, a room of fuck paintings and then a, a room of women. Yeah. Words. And- yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's assigned to what, um, but uh, it's, you know, basically they had pretty much picked what they wanted last year. Mm-hmm. And they are indicating that that's the list they're going to go with. Can we talk a little bit about the censorship that you went through on Instagram and how you yeah. dealt with Instagram? How did that turn out? Because you were fighting censorship of your work on Instagram. Yeah. They started pulling pieces of mine down with no explanation. And then one day my entire account was gone. Uh, What was interesting about it, uh, they didn't give me any warning or they didn't say your posts are against our community guidelines. Um, They just pulled the entire account down. So I was hysterical to put it mildly and I kept going on Facebook and on Twitter asking people if they were on Instagram to go complain on my behalf which an awful lot of people did and that really helped and so many people complained and were complaining complaining on social media in general about it that uh, I think it was Andrew Russith uh, from Artnet. Uh Yeah. Uh, He had somebody call me up and interview me about it. I think he writes for Art News. Art News. Art News. Sorry. Um, He's a great, he's a great guy. Actually, doesn't he also write for the New York Times? He's great. Yes. He's absolutely this wonderful person. And when I'm in New York, I run into him all the time because he gets lunch at a place right by my place. So I run, I run into him. Um, but he wanted to know if they could write an article about it. And I said, yes, of course. And it turns out that um, Instagram does not like negative press. So... <laughs> Um, they published an article and then the article that they published then got picked up by blogs online. So all of a sudden this one article was in several places. And um, then it turned out that a collector of mine knows people at Instagram and she called them up and she just said, basically, this will not do. Get that account back up. She is an important artist, which is very flattering for me, of course. But all of a sudden, I could log into Instagram. And they didn't. Wow. The thing that was interesting is I've been on Instagram since 
2009, 2010. And all the pieces from when I was originally on, they didn't take down. They were just there. Just, you know, and to obviously, because I've been told, but also I had figured out, I have a tagged account. So anything I put up on Instagram is reviewed. I don't know mm -hmm. by whom or what their qualifications would be. What do you mean by tagged? Do you mean like verified or? Is no, tagged? I'm not verified. If I put up something on Instagram, an Instagram review team looks at it. Hmm. Pictures of my pussycat, pieces that I've done. And then, you know, do you know about the round table that Instagram did? I heard about it. Yeah. Well, they invited me and it turned out I couldn't be there in person. So I wrote to them and I asked them uh, if I could write a statement to be read, because this was obviously something that I um, had an opinion on. So I spent some days thinking about how I wanted to phrase things and what were to me the most important points. And it occurred to me, I had never read the community guidelines. I don't know if anybody's ever read the community guidelines. So I clicked on the link to the community guidelines and I was at once so furious and at the same time laughing so hard because in the second paragraph, the last sentence of, or the next to the last sentence of the second paragraph says, and photos of nudity in paintings and sculpture are allowed to. There's no qualifiers in that. That's what hmm. it says. In other words, they should never have taken down anything of mine. So right. it was very easy to write the statement. Um, and I told them to do their job better. Hmm. Was basically what I said. Um, after that, they tried, they closed my account one more time, which I noticed, of course, right away. And I wrote in email to the person I had people I had been in contact with in on Instagram and Facebook from the round table. I had some contacts and um, I said, this is a photograph of a painting. And they got back to me right away and said, we've restored your account. The review team thought it was a photograph and not a painting. And I wrote back saying, first time I've been punishing, punished for doing my job too well. <laughs> Great response. Yeah. So I have been doing, I have been doing a series on paper called scrolls, which are very angry marks uh, with lettering that are part of the women's series. Um, and I did them, I, I did one because I had the idea of what would this look like. So I did the word no. And uh, I realized that this has no image except words and none of them have been taken down. Great. Yeah. What a story. Yeah. So they're leaving you alone now, except they're reviewing. Well, posts. they're leaving me alone, uh, which I'm grateful for. I have a new body of work, thanks to them. Uh, and I do believe everything I post 
is reviewed. Hmm. And, I and Facebook is a different story, I, I would imagine. I'm sorry? Facebook is a different story, I would imagine. Uh, interestingly enough, I have only had two images taken down from Facebook ever. And when mm -hmm. I contested them, you know, because you have a choice with Facebook to accept their decision or to contest it. So I contested them and they showed back up within an hour. Hmm. So you have this work going to the museum and you have several galleries that you're showing your work with. Um, is there a particular piece that you're working on now, like that's on the easel? Oh, uh, I'm, I'm just starting one of the insults and laments and I'm just at the stage where I'm putting the pink on that will be all the wording. Uh, so I'm just starting that now. And what I just finished were two of the uh, women words on canvas. Mm -hmm. And so I have to pick two more out, send it to my guy. And uh, that all takes a few weeks. So I'll hopefully be able to do this insult and lament in between. Mm -hmm. So um, we'll look forward to um, this exhibition at the museum. Um, Thank remind you. us the name of it and the location of it. It's MOCO, um, Museum of Contemporary Art Montpellier, France, and it opens May or June. Okay. And it's up, up so, through September. Mm -hmm. Great. Uh, I will definitely look that up. And uh, to the listeners, please uh, check. Betty Tompkins out on Instagram if you haven't already. She's become one of the more prominent artists in America right now and in the world. Thank and uh, it's a pleasure to call you a friend over the years. Yes. We've known each other uh, how long now? Oh gosh. It's amazing really. I think I've I've known you for over a decade. Yeah, that's what I think too. Mm-hmm. And so I I prefer to talk to people that I mean, I happen to have a lot of amazing friends and um, it's great when this kind of thing can happen and people can hear your story and we can continue the dialogue. Yes. So um, uh, I guess you have some work to do. I'll let you get back to your studio, but uh, let's be in touch. Yes, please. And uh, thanks again for taking the time. And thank you uh, for inviting me. Absolutely. I'll talk to you shortly. Okay. Bye-bye. Have a great day. You're listening to the White Hot Magazine of Contemporary Art podcast with your host, Noah Becker.